welcome to Word Online. Hello and welcome to series eight and episode eight, in which we're studying the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is recorded in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. We're currently following the story of the life of Jesus, primarily through uh, the Gospel of Luke. And it's Luke who most clearly defines for us uh, the development of Jesus' ministry when he leaves uh, Galilee and he heads for Jerusalem. It's Luke who explains that as Jesus takes his disciples away from Galilee for a time of reflection to a place called Caesarea Philippi and nearby, it's Luke who explains that when Jesus is there and he's with Peter, James and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, he explains that he is going to go to Jerusalem and he's going to depart this life and return to heaven. And it's Luke who explains in Luke 9 verse 51 that Jesus um, resolutely set out for Jerusalem and he refers to this issue several times later on. So he's trying to give a framework for our understanding of what happens in the next period of Jesus' life. Those things take place um, during uh, series seven and we're now in series eight and as Luke describes the story Jesus has left Galilee. A group of disciples have gone with him. He's heading south and he's heading ultimately towards a major confrontation in Jerusalem. He's already warned his disciples that he will suffer, die, and be uh, raised again from the dead, and uh, that this will be uh, the defining conclusion of his earthly ministry. So their expectations must change. The popularity he's enjoyed in Galilee is no longer assured. Opposition will increase, and he's not returning home to Galilee. This is a big challenge for the disciples and Luke has already described this journey beginning and he's already told us that um, when Jesus uh, approached a Samaritan village on the way through um, they didn't receive him that they went on to another village so that that was a complication in itself because he's left Galilee and he's now heading towards the central area of the country Samaria and the southern area Judea in which the capital city Jerusalem is situated and the surrounding areas on the east of the river Jordan. So a whole new era is taking place. Samaria is not an easy place to travel through because Jews and Samaritans didn't get on well together and uh, we're going to talk about that significantly in the parable that we are looking at where that becomes a central theme of the story. But in the episode that uh, takes place just before the parable that Jesus tells here, uh, we see Jesus in a very strategic way using the opportunity of travelling south uh, in the country of spreading the word about his message, his identity and his claims. He gathers together the 12 and 60 others, a group of 72, and he sends them out in pairs. This is recorded uh, at the beginning of Luke 10. He sends them out in pairs uh, to go to all the towns and villages um, uh, that he is uh, planning to visit or to go nearby. And he is hoping that they will speak uh, the message about the kingdom of God coming, perform miracles there, and basically ensure that everybody in these central and southern districts has actually heard 
about Jesus in the same way that almost everybody in Galilee had heard about Jesus. So this is the sense of movement and direction we have in the story. A lot of interesting themes coming together. And Luke gives us quite a lot of material from this particular period of time when Jesus isn't in Galilee, he's heading south. So we will be drawing on Luke's gospel quite a lot uh, during the next period of our studies. And one of the things that he provides us is a series of parables that Jesus told at this time. He also tells us of a number of particular incidents of people that he meets, uh, and we'll hear about those uh, as we continue. But he does give us a number of parables. Now, Luke is very keen on recording uh, for us the parables that Jesus tells. And quite a few of the parables of Jesus are only recorded in Luke's gospel. This is an example of that, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we're going to study this story now. And we're going to look at the introduction and how the story came about by reading, first of all, um, verses 25 to 28. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbour as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Now, one of the themes of this particular period of time is the rising opposition to Jesus. We've seen the opposition in Galilee, but it's intensifying. John's description of Jesus making a very brief visit to the Feast of Tabernacles, which we looked at in recent episodes, showed that opposition very, very strongly. But here... Uh, as Jesus travels through the country, an expert of the law decided to test Jesus. He's basically testing him or trying to test him on his knowledge of the Old Testament and his understanding, particularly of the law of Moses. What should I do to inherit eternal life? And the standard Jewish answer is to worship God and obey the law. And um, he was expecting Jesus to give him a summary of the law. But in fact, Jesus did what he often did. He answered a question with a question. I wonder whether you've noticed that. And so he, he puts the question back to the expert in the law and said, what do you think are the key ingredients for godly living and entering into eternal life? His summary in verse 27 um, is a standard answer. It's an answer that the teachers, the religious teachers at the time, gave to their disciples or questioners when asked to summarise the law of Moses. Bearing in mind the law of Moses had over 600 commands and it had the Ten Commandments at the centre of it. But how would you summarise it? And there was an agreement amongst quite a few teachers at the time that you could take two central commands and uh, they would be really the summary upon which everything else hangs. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind. That's the first one. That's actually taken 
from the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. It was considered by the Jews to be the summary of the primary aim of the Jewish worshipper, which is to love God. And the second one is taken from Leviticus 19, verse 18, is to love your neighbour as yourself. I'm just turning here to Leviticus. And I notice here that this law is not prominent. It's very brief. And it's uh, in, the, in the midst of all sorts of other practical commands. There are all sorts of different laws in that particular part of the book of Leviticus. So it's interesting that this teacher should pick out this law. And it's interesting that Jesus himself on another occasion does the same, where he actually agrees with um, the expert in the law that these two laws do actually summarize the, the whole of the law. But the question that comes out is about who is the neighbor, the human part of the law, becomes very, very important. Love your neighbour as yourself, said this command, as the man quoted. But in verse 29, it says he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? Now, it's at this point that we have the central radical teaching that Jesus brings. It was not controversial amongst the Jews to say we need to love God with all our heart, mind, soul and strength. And that obeying different laws comes out of a, a love, a devotion and a worship of the living God, Yahweh, the God of Israel. That wasn't controversial. But Jesus is now going to take a very close look at the second of these two commands. Love your neighbour as yourself. Now, when I look at it in its original context in Leviticus 19, the natural application of loving your neighbour as yourself is to love your fellow Jew, because who is your neighbour? It's the person who lives in the same community as you. The Jews lived in their villages, their towns, their communities, and the law of Moses was directed specifically to them. It wasn't a law for the whole world. It was a law for the Jewish community, and it was telling them how they should behave. And in their communities, it would be very unusual to have a neighbour, someone living on your street, who wasn't Jewish in the early days when these commands were first experienced and interpreted in the settled community once they'd got into their land. They built Jewish communities. And so Jews would consider the primary reference of this uh, definition of neighbour to be their fellow Jews. And they would consider the application to be the avoidance of arguments and disputes in Jewish communities because you love your neighbour as yourself, you avoid getting into conflict and arguments, you avoid taking negative attitudes and actions against your neighbours. That's what they would have in mind. Who is my neighbour? asks the man. And that brings forth from Jesus this amazing parable, which stretches the imagination and the thinking of the expert in the law. Verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. 
They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The experts of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. We must remember with parables, as we've seen before, that the main significance of them is to have a central point or theme. They're almost always not allegories, where every single detail is applied to another reality. There might be some links between details in the parables and other realities. But we should be looking for the main point. And the parable, to the person who can see the significance of it, is incredibly enlightening. And for the person who's unclear about what Jesus is talking about, Fundamentally, they'll often be confused by parables. This particular parable is incredibly powerful when you think about it. Now, Jerusalem to Jericho was a journey of approximately 25 kilometres. And what characterises this journey, which I've done myself, I've been on the road in the modern uh, nation of Israel, uh, and, and down into the uh, Palestinian territories where Jericho is. As you go on this road, what you notice about it is that it's downhill. It's a long way down. And Jericho, in fact, is uh, at a very, very low point on the Earth's surface. It's one of the very lowest uh, habitable places on the Earth's surface in the whole world. Jerusalem is set in the hills of Judea and so you have to go down a long way to get from Jerusalem to Jericho. And people travelled on this road regularly because Jericho was a major city and it was also a passing point as you went over the River Jordan and up north and a number of, there were a number of northern roads you could go from there. So lots of people went down this road. It was a major road. The man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Many people were going from Jerusalem. It was the commercial centre, it was the religious centre. That's where the temple was. That's where worship took place. Now, this particular man, a Jewish man, is beaten up, robbed, and left for dead on the side of the road. And a priest and a Levite passed by going down from Jerusalem 
to Jericho. That's very significant because priests and Levites who were their assistants had periods of time when they were on duty in the temple in Jerusalem. Many of them didn't serve all the time in Jerusalem. They just came occasionally when their particular division or group was on duty. We have an example of this in the New Testament. That is the father of John the Baptist, Zechariah. In Luke chapter 1, Zechariah is described in verse 5 as belonging to the priestly division of Abijah. And in, in 1 verse 8, uh, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God. So Zechariah, like many others, like the priest and Levite in this story, had a period of time where they had to be on duty in the temple in Jerusalem. And they would leave their homes and they would go up to the city. They would stay in accommodation in and around the temple and they would serve the religious function that they were assigned. Now, we can easily imagine that this was the situation of the priest and Levite. They had just finished a period of duty in God's holy temple in Jerusalem, worshipping him and administering the sacrifices and helping the worshippers as they came in their hundreds and their thousands up to the temple in Jerusalem to perform their religious duties. That's what they were doing. And so they were heading home because they were going down the road to Jericho. They were going away from Jerusalem, but they passed by. They didn't take any notice or care of the man who had been left as if he was dead on the side of the road. A third man, a Samaritan, came and he helped the man, took him to an inn, made financial provision and promised that he would come back and see how things were going. Now, the other important thing about the context is to remember again, as we've noticed on quite a number of occasions, that there's a big ethnic conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans. And this particular geographical area will have Samaritan communities to the north and Jewish communities to the south. The Samaritans and the Jews didn't get on with each other. The Samaritans claimed that they had replaced the Jews as the special people of God. Um, their ethnic origin was partly Jewish and partly non-Jewish and came from a period about 700 years uh, before this time when through a policy of ethnic cleansing of an imperial power called the Assyrians, there had been large numbers of different people groups moved around their empire and mixed together. This had produced the Samaritan community. They believed in Yahweh, the God of Israel. They believed in the law of Moses, um, but they did not accept Judaism as a whole and they did not worship in the temple and they did not respect the Jews and the Jews did not respect them. They considered them upstarts. So that is a very key detail in this story. But the conclusion is that when Jesus says, which of these three men do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. So it turns out that Jesus is redefining 
neighborliness. He's expanding the meaning of the Old Testament principle, love your neighbors yourself, from its original context in the book of Leviticus, where it applied primarily to the Jewish communities as they related together. And he's expanding the meaning. And he's showing that in this particular instance, it's the Samaritan, the one who's not even a Jew, who is loving his neighbor as himself. The expert in the law was correct in defining the key characteristic of this man as having mercy. Now, a very famous prophecy or text in the Old Testament from the prophets in Hosea chapter 6 verse 6 has God saying these words to the people of Israel, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. And the priority of mercy there, merciful attitudes to our fellow human beings, is made very clear by the prophet Hosea. And I want to just comment on this because Jesus picks up this theme in his teaching. And he uh, emphasises the importance of mercy elsewhere. And we've had a look at this teaching earlier on in our studies. But I want to just go back to this and connect it here. Because this word mercy is a very important word. Jesus twice quoted this verse from Hosea chapter 6 verse 6 about mercy and sacrifice. And... The contexts are interesting. In Matthew 9, verses 9 to 13, we have Jesus um, uh, having a meal with Matthew, the tax collector, and all his tax collector friends and other sinners, as they're described. Irreligious people, prostitutes, men who were black marketeers, and that sort of thing. And the Pharisees look on, they're agitated, and they... I wonder why Jesus is giving time to such people. Jesus, on hearing their agitation, uh, his answer was, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus here is being merciful to the irreligious in this particular context. And he encourages the religious people to see that mercy should be given to the irreligious. Then in Matthew 12, we have another example where the disciples are eating grains of corn on the Sabbath day. And the Pharisees and others claim that they are breaking the law, which they're not, in fact. And in Matthew 12, verse 7, Jesus said, if you'd known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. They were hungry. And a kind and merciful thing to them is to allow them to eat the food they need and not to falsely criticise them. And in that incident uh, in Matthew, we see uh, Jesus goes on to heal somebody um, straight afterwards. So, in summary... Jesus applies the Old Testament emphasis on the word mercy as a priority from God into three different contexts. Mercy on 
unworthy, irreligious and selfish people on one hand. Secondly, mercy to people who are hungry. And thirdly, mercy to people who um, have some sickness and need healing. That's how he applied the priority of mercy. So it's a very important theme in the New Testament. And it comes up again here that mercy is important. And finally, Jesus then concludes by saying to the teacher of the law, go and do likewise. He's inviting this man to have a change of attitude. His attitude being that he's looking for people to be fitted into religious boxes and to very specifically obey all the laws of Moses. And he's very keen to criticize people who don't fit into those categories and boxes. That's the mentality of these teachers of the law and Pharisees, which we see time and time again uh, in the Gospels. But Jesus encourages him to consider human need and to consider the command to love your neighbor as yourself and to adapt his life accordingly. So my reflections in conclusion on this amazing and wonderful story is that Jesus is here making a fundamental redefinition of loving your neighbour. No longer is it ethnically specific. Is it just about the people you're close to or the people in your ethnic group or the people in your immediate community? No, the neighbour in Christian thinking and in Jesus's approach is that human being who you have the opportunity and resources to help. Now, that person could be in your community, but they could be anyone. They could be any race. They could be any type of person. It's an indiscriminate love that Christians are called to have. This is a definition of Jesus's understanding of mercy. It extends to all of humanity. And Jesus is pointing out here that the religious duty to love God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength cannot be separated from the priority of loving your neighbour as yourself. Mature Christians are those who have a very clear priority in loving God, focusing on him, his word, worship, community, prayer. But also they have a very clear priority of using their resources and their time to help people in need as far as they have an opportunity to do that. Jesus was making a prophetic challenge to Judaism and inviting the Jewish religious establishment to become much more compassionate and merciful to people in need. He was also in this parable paving the way for the culture of the church that was shortly to be born from the day of Pentecost onwards. And this culture can be summarised by the words of Peter when he spoke to Paul, the Apostle Peter speaking to the Apostle Paul as recorded in Galatians chapter 2 verse 10 when they had a meeting to discuss their different missions and how they linked together and how their messages were to be connected together. And Peter and his colleagues 
according to this verse, said to Paul and his colleagues, all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing that I had been eager to do all along. Remember the poor. That becomes part of the fundamental DNA and culture of the New Testament church. And here in this amazing parable, we have an explosive and powerful truth concerning what the characteristic of the church should be. The Jewish man on the side of the road was apparently a hopeless case. He was apparently dead, but it was the Samaritan who reached out to him. And he crossed the barriers of race and culture in order to bring God's mercy. That's what the church is called to do. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.